My name is Anthony Capazzoli. I am the host of the Dismantled Life podcast and I'm a recovering alcoholic and drug addict after nearly 40 years of addiction. I've been clean and sober for nearly four years and work hard to help others find recovery. Join me each episode to learn from my sober superhero guests and how they went from the darkness of addiction into the sunlight of recovery. Dismantled Life can be found on Digitent Podcasts, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. My father was viciously affected by addictions and PTSD and just incredible trauma his whole life after Vietnam. And uh, I don't blame anybody for my addictions, but you know, I learned things from him and as his example was set. And unfortunately, I, I did pick up that ball. And I always wondered like how different he may have been had he not had to deal with his trauma through alcohol and drugs. And, it, and it's just a super interesting topic to me because I think it affects so many people uh, in so many different ways. And it has the waterfall effect because I do believe in nature and nurture, but I think nurture in a lot of cases, I think it's, this is people might get mad at me for this one, but I think it's probably quote unquote easier. And I say this delicately to get over the nature part. I think the nurture part has a huge impact because you, as children, I think, and as people, you do what you see, um, unfortunately. So I, this is, I'm super excited about this conversation. And um, there's one other topic tied to this that I'd like to touch on, if, if I may. Uh, I've read a lot of studies about they followed Vietnam veterans home from Vietnam. And I just chose Vietnam because most of the studies, I think the other um, actions, war actions, uh, and wars that we've been a part of haven't had the study time yet, as much as maybe Vietnam per se. But they said that they a lot of soldiers came back and quit heroin, quit drinking, quit smoking right when they got back from Vietnam because their environment had changed so drastically. That was a coping mechanism. So I'm curious about the blend of those things. And I'll let you both, Dustin and Carrie, do an introduction of yourselves. And so I just want to kind of get that kind of basis out there because this is a really near and dear topic to me. That sounds great. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I can start. Uh, so, so my name is Dustin Brockberg. I'm one of, I'm one of the licensed psychologists. I currently work at Hazel and Bay Ford Foundation. Um, and I'm one of the co-authors of our book, End Your Covert Mission, A Veteran's Guide to Fighting Pain and Addiction. I'm um, excited to be here. Uh, and I'm excited to answer some of those questions and kind of just get to know you a little bit and have a, have a fun conversation. So I'll, I'll let, let Carrie introduce herself first, and then we'll kind of jump in. Sounds great. So, yes, I'm... Uh, Carrie Brackberg. I'm also a licensed psychologist. And yes, it is not a coincidence. We have the same last name. We are husband and wife. Um, so that was a, a fun part of writing, writing our book together. Um, so yes, currently, um, I am working as a rehabilitation psychologist, um, which means I focus on working with folks with various chronic health um, conditions as well as disabilities. So um, chronic pain, spinal cord injury, stroke, um, brain injury, all sorts of different chronic health conditions and disabilities. So that's kind of um, my bread and butter right now. And I work at a, a hospital outpatient, um, mm -hmm. but at a hospital here in Minnesota. That's great. Um, I'm down in Florida. So I have a lot oh. of friends up in Minnesota. And I was, we just moved down from Chicago where the weather is like 30 degrees. Uh, and we, I was Chicago in my entire life. And we've been down to Florida now for maybe a little over a year and a half. 
and it's 72 this morning. It's it's quite a different world for me. It's uh, nearly Christmas, and I'm walking around in shorts and a t-shirt. It's strange. <laughs> I miss I miss Florida. I was in Florida for two years for my master's program, um, so I definitely miss the the warm weather and. It's awesome. I was always okay with no snow during Christmas. I am too. You know, (laughs) I I don't fight it. I love it. But I do. Minnesota is great too, though. I have to say it's you guys have a lot of outdoor. You guys take advantage of the outdoors for sure. It's impressive. Absolutely. So this is uh, it's interesting. I've been doing the show. I've been so clean and sober for about five years. And um, I'm very proud of that. But it was a long road. I was. Uh, addicted to drugs and alcohol for most of my life until uh, about five years ago. I'm 52. I'll be 52. So it it was just a normal thing uh, around the house, around the family to drink. Um, The drugs weren't out in the open most of the time. Sometimes they were. Um, And it was interesting that I didn't even think twice. I just, that's just what you did. Uh, And off we went. And I don't blame anybody. The addictions are my own and I take full responsibility for them. So I always have to, I always add that because I don't want listeners to think that I'm blaming someone because addiction, it's a personal thing. Like, yes, I understand that there are uh, biological elements to it. I think that there are, like we said a minute ago, environmental or nurture elements to it. Um, I do believe that some people have the gene, quote unquote, whatever that might be, but it's still a personal choice and that you have to, you choose to keep that path or not. And it's a harsh reality, I think, at least for me. Um, And I am not a therapist. I am not a doctor in any way. So this is just my own experience. And then when I nearly died, I said, I have to change something or I won't get another chance. So it's interesting to me um, because my father died from acute results of his addictions. I mean, so it was, uh, it's very, very real. And I know that, you know, it's hard and I don't blame anybody for anything. And it just, it, it sucks when you see someone literally drink and drug themselves to death. It's pretty crazy to, to, to be a part of that. And that would have been me, oddly enough, having actually seen that happen, that would have been me too, had something not drastically happened to me to change the course of my life. First off, thank you so much for sharing that with us and, you know, being open. I think, you know, it's, pretty amazing that you are putting together this podcast and sharing your story and connecting with other people and relating. Um, that's a big deal. That's a big part of why we wrote our book, right? Like connection, relatability, like just being real people. We deal with real stuff. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I just want to say thank you first for sharing and being so open in that oh, sense. Um, and, you know, I think one thing that we talk about, um, and there's Dustin, as I, I'll let Dustin share the, the cool metaphor that he talks about in our book. But, um, you know, one thing that's super important that we explore a little bit in the book is the idea of different things that happen prior to individuals being in the military um, and after as well. Right. Like being in the military is not a bubble like, oh, this is just a section of time and this is where everything happens. No. Right. We have family experiences growing up, just like you're talking about. And sometimes, especially within the um, addiction community, you know, there is this transgenerational experience that happens sometimes not saying all you know that's important to 
really hone in on, but um, that's something that we found as we were talking to different veterans. Um, one of our favorite parts of the book, at least one of my favorite parts is the veteran voice, which is we actually reached out to vets to tell, talk to us about their experience. And we asked them prior to your military experience, what kind of, you know, experiences as far as pain, trauma, addiction had you experienced? Um, and a number of folks were talking about, yeah, this wasn't just a rip off the bandaid. I joined the military and this is what happened. A lot of people have prior experiences to these traumatic events or um, addiction substance related issues. So but, yeah. yeah. And Dustin, we yeah. talk about the light switch. I love that metaphor that you oh were... sure yeah so i think uh you know one of the things that came to my came to my head when you were talking uh, was this idea around epigenetics i don't know if you've heard of that term but this idea that um I, it's kind of like uh imagine in your body you have like a million light switches right and so yeah. these are all your genes and everything's kind of connecting and it's kind of what you're what you're born with and the innate qualities of you and um, depending on the environment the light switch turns on or a dimmer mm. turns on, right? And so, for example, like there's a reason why doctors are often baffled of why does, you know, of let's say this one family has five five sons and four of them get colon cancer and one does not. And everyone's like, well, why? Why does this one person not have colon cancer? Yeah. And one possible explanation is their environment that might play a role in how they interact with stress, how they interact with trauma, how they interact with um, good and bad reinforcement, everything. Now, I'm not saying that the environment is the all be all, but it's more of the mel between both of them that can interact and kind of create the scenario that, that a person's in. And so I think in a lot of ways, veterans, uh, individuals in recovery would probably connect to that. And this idea that uh, it's not as just as simple as your mom struggled with addiction, therefore you'll have it. That, that's mm -hmm. that, that's a very simplistic way of looking at it. But, yeah. but you might have some predisposition that might be setting you up to be more, have a more addictive personality or, or, or more addictive way of looking at things or a, a maybe maybe a reinforcement of how to find immediate gratification. There's all different ways you can look at that. Um, and so I think that that that's a big component to think about. Um, I also wanted to kind of just just uh, hit on something you said earlier as well, this idea around, um, you know, Vietnam veterans and coping skills and substances and how once they came home, they really maybe slow down in some, some of their substance use. You know, yeah. I think that's true for um, for a lot of the cohorts that you often see within the military and veteran population that um, when you do change them out of a very stressful environment into a non-stressful environment, some veterans are very able to just kind of like make that switch and continue on and some are not. And I think, yeah. um, you know, I, I agree with you that Vietnam veterans have been somewhat widely studied, but that, that, that that's kind of an interesting point because a lot of Vietnam veterans first didn't go to the VA for a long time, yeah. right? There's a lot of stigma there. And um, and thankfully, they're, they're now in that system. They're getting a lot of help. And a lot of research is kind of coming out about them, things like that. Um, but actually, from, from my understanding, one of the most widely studied uh, veteran groups is actually this current group of the OIF, OEF, OMD. It is. And the reason is, <laughs> A, there's there's tons of money going into this group right now. There, yeah. There's tons of research going in right now. Um, there's there's less stigma about talking about some of the concerns around mental health or addiction. And so there's just more push right now. Um, that also sucks, right? That, that it took us this long to get that you know, good at. But, but I think that's also a normal thing that it, it often 
takes us a while to figure out the trend and to be able to kind of put something in front of it to stop it in the future. And so I think the VA has done a wonderful job doing just that, that they're absolutely recognizing we have to continue to get better at this, and they are. Um, and other organizations are also doing the same. So I, I, think, I think it's a very well-put statement. It's a good, that's a great point. I, you know, I didn't know, I'm glad to see that they're spending more time, money, and effort in, in doing the research, but I, I would agree um, that the, the stigma is, it's less, because when my dad was struggling at the beginning, it was, uh, you did, that was stuff he didn't talk about. You, you, I don't know if the word alcoholic even, I don't remember that word until I remembered it, and it was like in my teens. It just didn't come up, and my grandfather, and I don't want to out anybody here, but because that's not fair. This is, <laughs> I don't like to do that to people. Um, but it was just, that's, there was a, certainly a stigma and there was a, a machismo around, I don't need any help. And there was all kinds of layers that it had to get peeled back. So it's nice to see, I, I think back, a podcast like this one, as little as this one is, would not be able to exist uh, 20 years ago. I, I just don't think that this would be possible. Nobody would talk about it. It was just, just everything was different. So I'm very happy to say that it's out in the open and then people can go get help. And there are lots of ways to do that. And that's my, if there's a favorite part of addiction and recovery, uh, I say that it sounds weird to say that out loud that way, but it is that people have so many wonderful options now, so many books, so many online options where you could be in the most remote place. And still, if you have internet access, you could join meetings and get the help that you need and find a community to support you, which is incredibly important through the process. Because this is one of those fights. You, you just, you can win it alone, but it is very tough to win alone. Like you really do need the support of people in your life and then people that you can go to that only know you through this recovery process, uh, which, because you, I, I, you're more comfortable sharing a lot of the dirt and the guts and the grime of it. Um, Cause it's scary, right? Like admitting some of the things that I've done, I can't with my wife now, but it, you know, you do a lot of weird, crazy, nasty things when you're struggling to find your next bag of cocaine or drink when nobody, you think nobody will notice and, and whatever it might be. So there's so many layers to that, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about your book. Maybe you could frame out what your book is about. Uh, so that the listeners have an understanding of where they can go after our wonderful podcast. I think it's going to be a great one because I'm loving it so far um, to, to read more about, you know, what, what both of you have accomplished. Cause I think I, I love what you are doing and I love anyone that takes the time and effort to dedicate their life to this kind of thing. It's just great. Well, actually I'll bridge over from what you were talking about with the idea of like things being hidden Right. So, you know, to start our books called End Your Covert Mission for a reason. Um, and that's because a lot of times when you talk about pain or addiction, there is a lot of hidden capacities, a lot of things that, you know, it's really hard to share. You know, you talk about yeah. it's hard to do this alone. You want to find that group, that connection. But in general, making that first step is scary. It's vulnerable. It's hard. Um, yeah. And so that was that's the you know, the whole reason why we wrote this book, why the title it is the way it is and your covert mission, like no more trying to handle this by yourself. You don't need to um, preserve and keep that in, um, which is something that a lot of veterans while they're in the military are trained to do. They have to continue to push forward, push forward. Um, in order to maintain themselves, others, friends, family. Um, 
So that's, that's a big part of, you know, what we talk about with, as far as like, end your covert mission, um, which is hard, right? I think one little note before we get into the book, you know, when you talk about like the generational thing of like, it's not talked about, um, we can't ignore again, that the generational sprinkle down effect of that, right? So it's not just grandpa, dad, they just didn't talk about it, that those value systems, whether they be conscious or unconscious, they trickle down into, you know, folks, you know, now that are still experiencing these issues, because that's what you know, that's what you see. So, um, but yeah, I just wanted to say that because I was like, oh, that's a really good point. (laughs) Um, So thanks for saying that. Um, But yeah, our book, I'll kind of sum it up and Dustin, you can take the reins afterwards, anything I miss. Um, So essentially we saw a gap in the literature. We saw that there's a bunch of different books out there, maybe written by veterans about their experience, or maybe more from like a theoretical, conceptual, academic tone about pain and addiction. And we were like, all right, so let's get real. Let's try to write about some of this stuff in a non-academic tone. So when people pick up our book, that's probably one of the first things they notice, you know, we're direct, um, kind of a no nonsense we curse throughout the book. I mean, we wanted to make this something that, you know, veterans would want to read. Anyone would want to read kind of a, a page turner, right? So this is, um, obviously written by two psychologists. So we have that aspect in there, but, we really try to make this something that is digestible that you can pick up from any chapter and get something from it. So yeah. um, we talk about pain from a biopsychosocial standpoint, standpoint, which is physical pain, emotional pain, and social pain that veterans might experience and how that might impact addiction. Um, and we really try to get at the idea of let's develop your sense of confidence and your own voice of handling addiction and pain. Um, So we do that with lots of reflective questions and um, talk about a lot of different strategies to try out. So that's what I missed. That's hard to sum it all up in like two minutes. (laughs) I I think it's a, it's a great job. Uh, And Dustin, I'd like to, I'm curious, you know, what you would add there, but one thing that's, I just one of the triggered is I, I listen to Jocko Willink a lot. He's a Navy SEAL. You're probably familiar with him and he has a wonderful podcast. And one of the things he says, and I listen to him a lot because of my experience growing up with, I did not go join the military, but almost everybody before me and my family did. And a lot of my cousins went that way. And one of the things that Jocko mentioned in his podcast multiple times is that war uh, magnifies the best and the worst in the, in a person or in the world. And I think that, like some when you said Dustin that, and and Carrie both that there was things that happened before, and I'll use my dad in this example. And then I love my father, and he's passed on, and I'm not trashing him. But there are things probably innate in him that were magnified through the war and that experience that, for lack of a better way to say it, and I, at not being a psychiatrist, psychologist, or doctor, what didn't get a chance to have the magnifying lens removed or he didn't know how to remove it. So he are maybe stuck in that rhythm or in that process and it never goes away. Uh, it's gotta, I feel bad. And I, I wish, I wish he was around just so that we could go through this together now a bit, you know? So, sorry, I didn't, I just interjected that because no. it was an important point. Cause I, I, I understand what you're saying where you're this magnified trauma, this magnified pain or these magnified bad habits that they've learned or just have. Right. 
Right. Right. I, I, you're, you're, you're totally spot on saying that. I think we could also make an argument too for the opposite, right? So there's some people that experience childhood trauma. We, we talked about this study called ACEs in our book of kind of early childhood trauma that might impact the person. And um, for some people, it also builds a sense of resilience, a sense of being able to kind of cope differently with yeah. trauma than, than a person that's never experienced trauma might not. Um, and that's not, that's not, one size fits all that could that could either hurt or hinder a person um but it it often comes down to more to not so much necessarily what happened to a person but how they coped or couldn't cope with the trauma might impact how they cope in the future right so if, if they didn't have the ability to kind of withstand or cope as a kid and then they go into the military that might be a really funky dynamic kind of coming out from that. So I think those are all things to be considerate of. And I think that's part of what our book is trying to highlight is to kind of help a person think about some of those things that they really haven't thought about before. Um, I think another aspect of this too is uh, it, it just, it just kind of carry forward with, with, with everything uh, uh, Carrie said already, because you already did a great job and I don't know what else I can add there to it, to be honest. But um, I also identify as a Iraq vet. And so it was also a very personal mission for me to kind of be a part of this book. Um, and I think um, being able to kind of give back to the community. But I think also one of the biggest things that we're finding in this book, and we didn't write it with this purpose, but it was kind of a, a, a happy extra is this book is written in such a way that it's so directive and solution focused and in your face uh, component that anyone, whether you're a veteran or not, could probably pick up, find a quote of ours and be like, oh my gosh, that makes a lot of sense. And you don't have to be going through addiction or be in recovery. You don't have to be a vet. You don't have to be going through mental health. There's so much stuff built in there that it can be really helpful. Well, I love that because uh, I think anyone that, you know, I think people should spend time on themselves trying to figure out more about themselves, try to peel back some covers because I, whether people know it or not, and, and this is my belief, I think everyone's addicted to something. I, I, I don't care. I, I, the phone, people's phones are a really good example these days. This is in a simple way. And people ask me all the time, like, what's it, what's it like to, to be an alcoholic or a cocaine addict? And I said, well, I said, it's different for me now because I'm five years in. So the fight's different, but the fight's still there. And I have moments where I'm triggered. And I said, think of it, have your phone in your pocket. And all your alerts on and all your notifications on. So you can physically feel them and hear them. And every, But the rule is for one week, you cannot touch your phone. You can't look at your phone and write down or hash mark every single time that you want to or you're notified because it'll you'll get these like, like this ghost notification where and that's a trigger for me. Right. And mentally, I offer for no reason whatsoever. I'll be sitting there and think you know, I want to drink or I want to do a line or whatever it might be. And, and then you add the element of, and I use the phone as a very simple uh, metaphor here, but it's a real one because everyone has access to it. And then if you can't ever do anything about it, that itch is always there and it tries to make you crazy. And so that's a, a good way for people to understand. And I don't want anyone to ever have to really experience addiction. They could avoid it. Um, don't drink, don't smoke, don't do drugs. That's let's start with that. But the, it's an interesting fight because, the, but the other side of this is I've learned so much about myself and so many people that have been on the show at the other side of this pain and this trauma and this incredible misery is this joy, this rainbow of life that you have been given another chance and the work sucks. It is hard work and it never ends. It's not always a white knuckle ride. There are at the beginning, there are moments because one of the things that I went through is looking down this dark hallway in my mind thinking, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do if I can't run to have a cigarette 
a beer, a shot, and a line to cope with anything, failure or success, and insert anything in the middle of that. So that part of your body, you, all that goes away. So you don't know where to go, what to do, what to say. You, your network of people that you know has to change because their result usually is, or their efforts, uh, and God bless them all, are let's go have a drink, let's go have a smoke, let's go do. So you have to, it really, everything changes. But after the fight, in, and I say there is no really definitive finish line, I suppose. But what I've learned is everything changes. You learn new habits. You have to put the time in. And now I have different kinds of habits. I mean, I, I bake. We talked about that a little bit. Uh, and I work out six days a week, seven days a week, sometimes twice a day. So, and I know as therapists, psychiatrists, you're like, well, that's an addiction in its own right. And it is, but I would rather do that than rip an eight ball every other day. Uh, so I had to trade something because it's in me. I mean, like Dustin, you mentioned where there's like this innate, the light switch is on. So I have to decide what's going to be illuminated. Is it going to be a habit that's going to kill me? Or I go do a lot of push-ups. <laughs> so I've chosen, I've chosen uh, the push-ups. So it's interesting. And I always wondered like what my father would be like had he, because I always wondered, I always felt like he has always fought the war in his mind after he got home because he was, he was injured. He wanted, he earned a silver star and purple hearts. And, you know, he was very decorated and, and, uh, and I always wondered like what he went through. I don't think in his mind, he was able to close that chapter in his life. So he always carried an open book and, and in order to deal with it and the horrible trauma, because he would literally have, I would wake up and have to help him, dealing with flipping tables and taking cover and God forbid the 4th of July, like it was really hard. He couldn't be around him on the 4th of July. Or if you did, you, you had to be prepared to defend yourself because he would just snap into this. He's being attacked and I get it. Right. And I, I am not, this is not me judging. This is me saying it's very real. And then his buddies would come around and they would drink and drug and cope. Maybe that's a more polite way to put it. And it was a never ending cycle. Lots of his friends have died from alcohol and drug related issues, car accidents. Some of them died were just physical complications where your body just gives out. Some of them have made it, um, but it, it, it was tough to watch and I feel bad. And I wish I knew now, then rather what I know now and could have at least been some sort of help because I didn't do anything. I, I, I literally didn't do anything. And I'm pissed about that. I really am. I wish I could have helped, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And, and I, I just, I was a kid. I didn't know what to do. I just had to deal with that. And I know this isn't like, forgive me. I know that the, the main focus isn't kind of adult children of alcoholics. This isn't the core concept, but unfortunately I think that that cycle exists so often and the acute trauma as a result of the veterans and what we're talking about, the covert missions, it's so related and it's, it's tough because Carrie, I think that bravado that you talked about, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but I think that so many soldiers come back, men and women, and have been it's been ingrained in them to fight the fight, continue one more step, one more battle, you'll be fine. And they charge ahead and that doesn't ever go away. So God, it's gotta be really tough to help. Sorry for my monologue, I, I apologize. No, I, I, love for, I love that notifications metaphor. That is awesome. I might steal that. That is a really cool way of explaining that. Um, we try to use metaphors in our book too. We talk about changing out your gear, maybe strategies, tools that hadn't worked before. We have a, 
a physical rucksack we talk about that like you know you have your rucksack of previous strategies and tools um that you know maybe it worked and we're, we're suitable in previous environments that are not working now or we need to switch out that idea um so we're big metaphor people so i really like that that notification uh, metaphor um but yeah i mean i i think you're you're bringing up some really good points and i just want to say that I think that something that is real is that this isn't a file system kind of going back what I was talking about, like life is not about like these sections of time and how, you know, oh, you know, this is this period of time and that's in that file folder. Mm-hmm. We are a lot more messy than that. Right. So mm-hmm. when you're when you're talking about previous stress, previous experiences, um, and we kind of nerd out a little bit in our book talking about how stress impacts the body and you, we hold on to that and how over time, um, again, a metaphor, uh, you know, it's like a, a paper towel. You get it wet, it might dry up, but the next time it gets wet, it's still recovering from that previous instance where yeah. it was wet and dried up. So um, that's much how, you know, the body processes stress, pain. Um, and it's, it's something to consider that none of this stuff is just solely by itself. It's this build up accumulation over time. And, um, you know, I, I want to give you some more credit, Anthony. I think it's really important that we say like, you know, in the moment when you're watching a loved one go through and deal with addiction, it is just the hardest, most helpless feeling for so many folks, um, and I think we have maybe this gut reaction where it's like, I'm doing nothing. I, I wish I could have done more. And, you know, did I do anything at all? Maybe all those questions kind of flow around, especially when you've lost that loved one and can't talk about that anymore. Yeah. Right. Then we're cut off from that experience as well, which I can't even imagine. It's extremely difficult, but give yourself more credit. You know, you being there, you being connected to your dad, um, that is something that, you, you don't probably even know the full capacity of that. So I, I want to say that to you because I can tell, you know, with your sharing and opening up that that is a, a really difficult thing. Um, my, I myself identify as someone that has, you know, family members that have gone through addiction and it's extremely difficult. And it, it's very, very hard to feel that helpless feeling of, you know, did I do nothing? And right. I think yeah. we do more than we know. Um, and that's probably a part of what we're talking about this, not talking, not sharing, um, and not hearing that from your loved one of maybe how you helped them or what was the anchor point for you just being there and existing as a little kiddo. Um, and you being a kid, not being able to do probably as much as now you can visualize and understand as an adult. So I just want to say that because. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. And it's um, so what I've, I've tried to it, in, in the process of my recovery, one of the things I've tried to do is break the, the cycle. And I, I've, I've for five years, I'm, I'm happy to say that um, I've, I've been able to do that. It's not been easy the whole time, but what I'm the, the gift I'm trying to give to my children is the gift I wish I could have been a part of with my father, meaning show them that there's a different way to go. Um, and again, I am not blaming my, I am not finger pointing. I'm not blaming. I'm not, none of that. My father had issues and trauma and, and addictions and struggles as a result of everything. But what I'm trying to say is 
because I wasn't able to work on that with my father directly, I'm trying to work on it with my kids directly and in my, with my wife and my life. And, and, you know, I have days where I absolutely fail, <laughs> you know, where, cause there's parts that always stick with me. Um, and I'll say addicts and people in recovery where there's the, the, the metaphor I like to use is if you don't know who Venom is uh, in Spider-Man, he's this right. Um, entity that lives inside and then comes out and this is evil. And this, so I always, I, one of my favorite characters in all of comic book world is, is Venom because I relate to the Venom character very much. And I know that that's always in me. And if I'm not careful, it will come out. So it's a constant fight, not, not to keep him stuffed down, but to handle it the right way. So that in the, the what I mean by all that is if I, I have bad days still, and I, I get a sense of that coming out or trying to claw its way out that side of me. And if I don't handle it well, that's where the working out comes in and trying to be active and handle things that come up that would trigger me to go the other way. And it's tough because it, this is one of those fights that I, I'm not going to be able to ever have a glass of champagne at New Year's, but I'm okay with that. I, that is an easy trade-off for me because I look down the road and I just want to have happy, healthy kids, whatever that might mean. Um, because that's that's a that's a slippery slope too. That's tough. But the 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 process of recovery, the joy of it, comes from doing the work. And it, it sounds so silly when people when I say that to people who are on the the first step of the process. What do you mean doing the work? This has got to suck. I'm like, it does suck until it doesn't suck, and then it's amazing. And then the work becomes its own reward. And f- forget about the finish line. The finish line just melts away because it doesn't matter anymore. And and that's the part that I think in recovery becomes so wonderful that you just live this wonderful new life and it's not easy, but whose life is easy. And I always ask like, whose life is easy? Like, what does that even mean? There is no normal. You, you just have to figure out a way. And I love the rucksack example, right? You decide what you're going to put in that thing and carry it around. And some days it's going to be heavy as hell. And some days it's the same rucksack and it's not, it's going to feel like a feather. And you just have to figure that out and put the time in. And I, and I, I, I so appreciate what you're doing. Um, so my, my question is, what are some takeaways for anyone listening, veteran or not, that you could coach them up on um, from your book or, or uh, maybe not in the book, it depends, uh, that they can listen? Because I always try to give people a little bit of hope or nuggets or a flashlight to find their way around in the dark on the show. And I'm curious what you might say, maybe a veteran who is afraid to make that first step or something. Absolutely. And I apologize in advance. We, we have one of our twins crying. So if you hear a little, little oh, background, no. don't, don't no mind worries. That. And if we need to pause, um, I am happy to pause. Yeah. If you need to go yeah. be mom and nope. dad for a while, that's totally fine. Nope. Um, totally. Okay. Uh, so I, I think, I think it's a really good, really good question. And I actually want to use um, again, that kind of rucksack example. I think when, for example, uh, working at Hazelden, uh, working in residential treatments for a lot of people, the rucksack is shoved with, um, 90 and 90s that shoved with a lot of 12-step programming, abstinence-based programming, a lot of, yeah. you know, get a sponsor, therapist, like put all those things in your rucksack to get through this first part. And um, and then eventually people take some of those pieces out because all of a sudden the the path, the road changes a little bit. You're still on the path. You're still figuring it out. Um, but you don't necessarily need all those things all the time. And, um, and I think that that's a big piece around our book is that we want to, A, honor the gear that you had. 
and how it helped you survive, whether or not it was healthy or not, whether or not it was it was good or not, or socially acceptable or not, it's still in some respect work for you mm-hmm. to, to some capacity, right? And then there's this kind of moment where a lot of people have of like, this is not working, right? Now, whether or not we're saying that out loud or we're afraid to even whisper that to a person, that's partly the struggle that I think a lot of people in, encounter, veteran or non-veteran, um, recovery or, or not, is this idea of, okay, so I, I now, there is a, there's an issue here, then what, right? And so I think that's part of where our book kind of steps in of like, okay, we're, we're going to catch you, right? We're, we're going to catch you where you are and say, try this, try that. And so a big part of our book is, you know, I, I use this kind of metaphor a lot of put your foot in the water and tap it, right? Just see if maybe if you give yourself a little bit of time that it might not be as bad as you thought it was. And, but but there is, a, there's an inherent risk in that. So a lot of people are like, I can't, that this is, uh, there's, there's no way no one's going to understand me no one's going to get it totally understand that yeah and what what happens if you're wrong right what happens if we didn't take that chance and what your life could look like because everyone to your point everyone is trying to have homeostasis everyone is trying to to have their life be good whatever the hell right. that is right. but 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 if that's true that we're striving for that taking a step in that direction is much better than standing still watching your life go past you. And I think that that it, it's, it's a hard pill because a lot of folks really don't know where to even start with that. And everyone has their own path of how to start with that, right? Um, whether it be, whether you seek treatment and somebody helps you get treatment, whether you just decide one day, I'm just going to show up to a meeting and see what happens, right? There's yeah. a lot of ways to look at that. So um, very similar, some veterans never touch the VA. And then one day, they're bringing a buddy to the VA. This is actually a, a cool research day that came out that if veterans bring somebody else to the VA, they're more likely to seek services themselves, right? So if they help somebody else in the process, they actually are likely to help themselves. So that's an interesting, just like psychological mindset of a veteran too, of I am of service. I want to help people. Um, very similar to some of the 12-step programming as well, right? Of like, how do we help other people in our own journey in recovery? And so it's to your point, they're almost like hand in hand. So this book is really trying to honor that, but also trying to give you an actual good tool to try. I love all of those things. And I, it, one thing I like to point out too, is I, I, because I, I'm stubborn and I'm me, I, I hit rock bottom a couple of times and I needed that absolute rock bottom. And it, you know, um, everyone listening to the show has heard it before, but at the end of the day, I was in the hospital for 12 days, 13 days nearly died at day three the doctors said you're not going to make it i needed that level of rock bottom to kickstart or take the next step on the other side of that to be where i am today but what i like to tell people is it doesn't have to be like that excuse me for one second i am so sorry it doesn't have to be like that it meaning it if you don't if, if you feel even a little bit uncomfortable or you look at your beer in front of you and you go why the hell am I drinking this? I always have this. I don't even know why I'm doing it. It's okay. You can get help, but the, there's different levels of this and you can get help for any of those levels. If, if you're just wake up and something triggers you and you're always angry, I mean, any little symptom of a bigger problem, because I really think that the, the ugly is in the details most of the time and it manifests itself. And usually, especially with alcohol, in, in some cases, drugs, depending on the level of usage, it's associated with having a good time, or uh, freeing yourself from the stresses of the week and insert any excuse in there that you'd like. But if you always have a two bottles of wine with dinner 
uh, or you always have a six pack after work, or you are smoking three packs of cigarettes a day, whatever it might be, it, it, you can get help at any level. It doesn't even have to be like you end up blind drunk. If you have two drinks a day, and I understand the do no harm concept. I know that that's a popular methodology these days. I am an abstinence only person because I can't tow the water. There's no way I could do it. I would be right back where I ended up, where I, when I nearly died. But on the other side of this, like I think that there's a lot to be said for maybe taking ownership of yourself in different levels in a positive way, not in a negative way, where you say, oh, I, I feel weird. I feel off. I feel like I have to have this. You can get help for that stuff. You go, like you said, I think going to a meeting, making a phone call, and there's so many easier ways to do it now where I know it sucks and it's a big pill to swallow to drive up to a meeting in the basement of a church or the basement of VFW or something and go meet with people you've never talked to in your whole life or don't know. That's a tough first step. It's an important one. And I think that you have to break that belief system in, a, in the right way. But there's other ways to do this. There's so many apps and ways to join Zoom meetings to get help, any kind of help. And I, I would believe that that first step, as hard as it is, is amazing because then it's a little bit easier to take the next step and so on. But it works in the reverse the other way, too. If you never go get help or ask for help, it's easy to continue down the path. And then all of a sudden, you're like me and, you know, on your deathbed. And it's it's tough. It's tough. And it's always better to, I think, lean into, I'm going to try to get help. Because like you said, Dustin, what's the? let's say it works out and it's great. And you love it and you like that new path or things stay the same, right? So uh, there's a couple of ways to look at this. I'm sorry, I, I'm talking, I, I don't normally talk this much in my show. Um, so forgive me. I, I don't know why I'm talking so much. Maybe because I'm enjoying this conversation so much. I apologize. No, happy. I, I'm excited you have so much energy about this. Um, I think your points bring up what I was actually going to share too, which is I think for vets and non-vets alike, um, trying to just be open and non-judgmental, right? Like if we can create this space for each other, whether you're a veteran or not veteran and um, you're a civilian and we're trying to get through something together, right? We've, I, I think pain, why we incorporated that into our book, it's this universal feeling of like, it's uncomfortable, it's discomfort, whether that's physical, social, emotional, psychological, what, however you fill in the blank, right? Yeah. It's, it's uncomfortable. So when we're uncomfortable, what is something that can help not feeling disconnected or distant, but rather feeling that we can be there and um, share with others in a way where we won't feel judged or not accepted. And so I, I think that's my biggest thing is that, you know, this book is a big part of trying to create a non-judgmental environment and helping folks get some language of helping each other out is such an important value in dealing with pain and addiction. So um, I think that's so, so important that we try to work as much as we can, veterans, non-veterans, anyone, anyone that's dealing yeah. with pain or addiction um, from this non-judgmental standpoint. So um, that's probably my biggest takeaway is like, just be open, be curious, try to be understanding and empathetic um, which I think goes a long way with a lot of people. So. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. 
I love and that. Just, 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 just to, uh, sorry, just to add to that too. Yeah. Um, you know, I think uh, as pain is universal, you know, one of the pieces in the book we also talk about is the difference between military culture and veteran culture and how culture plays a role in a person's relationship with pain and how veterans often, um, not always, but a lot of veterans also connect to kind of resilience with pain that they can survive and surpass and get through a lot of pain. And that becomes a mentality for a while. And, um, and then when you encounter pain in the civilian world, there's almost this inherent belief system of keep going, keep going, keep going, or, or I don't want to be the one that's in pain, right? I don't want to be the one that's struggling. I, I, yeah. I can't be that, that, that squeaky, you know, piece in the wheel. I got, I got, I got to keep going here or, it seems to be going just fine. Therefore, I should be going just fine, right? So there's there's a lot of just like eye opening, like hold on, right? Like again, like what if you're wrong? What if what if you go to this yeah. meeting and you're like, oh my gosh, I thought I was the only one with back pain, but all of us have back pain, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm watching some folks holding their back, and they were trying to hide it the whole time, and they use pain pills to try to hide it, and and all these different things. And then you get down to the the mental health component of feeling alone, feeling disconnected, feeling like. You're the only one. And that can just do a number on our worth, on our esteem, on our perception of the future, everything. And so there's so much built into this that it's 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 pretty it's pretty awesome. I'm I'm biased, of course, but um, you know, I think there's also a level of getting this book in people's hands that are helping veterans, folks that know a veteran, folks that, you know, whether it be VA systems, whatever it is, we really want to just get this, get this book out there so that people can actually have a tool, have something they can go to. And one of the best things about, about a book is you can always put it down. You can always say, you know what, this was too much, this chapter. Like there are some chapters where we're kind of just in your face telling you how it is. And you're like, okay, I need like a month to swallow that one mm-hmm. and put the book down, right? Absolutely put the book down, um, chew on it, marinate in it talk to people about it and then go back to it and be like, all right, I got that one down. Let's keep going. And it's just a really kind of a cool tool in that way. I love that. The, and that's being able to put it down that, that I think that also is for really any process that you're the way is the way. And if you need to take a break from a chapter, let it kind of, you know, manifest itself, however it's going to, it's a really important point in the community of recovery is a big deal. Like that's, because I, I talk to people all the time and after maybe they've listened to the show or the, just because I try to, I get calls and emails from people that I, I, I don't know just because of the show and talk to them and they're shocked that there's somebody else out there like them, whatever that might mean, that I just thought that I was the only one doing this level of insert here, or I thought it's the only one that felt like this. And then when they realize that I just happen to listen, whether it's my show or somebody else's show, and I think, Find the show that works or the shows that work, the books that work, the processes, do those. Um, and when they realize that they're not alone, that there's other people, that community element does have such a positive impact because they feel people feel comfortable reaching out if there's some kind of symbiotic element to it. It because it be, it be, the community just does really wonderful things. So what I like to do um, is just maybe you could share where people can buy your book and how they can find you on your website. Of course, I'll be anywhere uh, in the show. I'll put links to find you both. Uh, I know that you're married, but I'm, you might have different professional footprints. Uh, so uh, there'll be links for people to buy your book and find you professionally uh, as well. And um, I'll do my best to promote it because I, I love what you're doing. And this has been a very meaningful and I'm a, I'm a little off because I have such an emotional 
trench for me. So I, I wasn't sure how I was going to be. And I thought I was going to absolutely sob the entire time. And I didn't. So I'm proud of myself for that. But after the show, I can't make any promises. We'll see how it goes. But um, this has been great. So maybe you could share where people can find you both. Uh, and we can end with that. So you can find our book pretty much everywhere. So Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target, um, Hazelden is our publishing company. So if you go directly there, especially if you're looking for like a larger order, they can give you some discounts. Um, so that's where you can find our book. Lots and lots of places. Uh, as far as more information about Dustin and I, we have a website, drsbrackberg.com. Uh, we also have a Facebook page and an Instagram account. Same thing, Drs. Brockberg. Um, we'd love to hear from you guys. And obviously, we hope to reach out and connect folks with our book. And I think the thing we've always been saying this whole time is we just hope we help one person, one veteran or non-veteran, whoever's reading this, um, to make a difference. So really excited about that. Yeah. Thank you both. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I, I think, uh, too, and just uh I'm going to, I'm going to pick on you a little bit. So, so something you said a second ago that I want to just kind of speak to is even the idea of, you know, trying to hold it together, right. Trying to, even that's a rule, that's a gear, right. That's a piece of gear that we're holding on to professionally, whatever it is. Yeah. And I think that's a big part of this is anyone that's listening to this, take a chance, just take a chance. You know what I mean? If you don't like it, return it, right. We'd much rather you read the book and see if you like it, see if it actually could be helpful to you. Um, and even if one page, one, one sentence helps then it was all worth it and so that's all we ask and that's all we want and, and, and that's all we, all we want to help so um allow yourself to, to try to change out that gear see if maybe a new piece of gear is better more improved upgraded right it doesn't mean that you still don't like your old shoes i, I like my old shoes too i don't want to trade mine out either but if you get a new pair gosh darn it feels good so sometimes we have to kind of do that that, that kind of little piece to make a change in our life